Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. I remember hearing once that if adults behaved like toddlers, they would all be diagnosed with psychopathic behaviours, which makes sense to every parent of a toddler. But such comparisons don't make it easier to manage their more challenging behaviours. Think crying over toast cut the wrong way, refusal to get in the car seat, and of course, hitting and biting. Dr. Kate Highfields is an expert in early learning with Early Childhood Australia. And, uh, of course, she also is the mother of one very happy toddler. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm so well, Siobhan. Gosh, I laughed when you said, could I talk about this today? <laughs> talk about living what you're talking about. Right. Yes. Well, you know, you have professional and personal experience in this area. So what is the most challenging behaviour your toddler is exhibiting right now? Well, I'm, I'm not sure where you want me to start. Do we want to go with... <laughs> Uh, jumping on the couch, that's great. Um, or pushing food away at a vast speed, which normally means it f- falls off the table. That's fun too. Mm-hmm. But my very most challenging behaviour is running in the car park. Oh, God. Um, no, that is just a disaster waiting to happen. And I see it happen for mums every night at picking up at daycare, every afternoon picking up at daycare. Uh, just that, oh, my goodness, the toddler has run to the car park again, you know, and chasing after them. That's my biggest one at the moment. So <laughs> in your professional capacity, yeah. I mean, in, as, you, as a mother, you're just, you know, full flight panic mode, I would imagine, <laughs> when they're running in a car park. But as a professional, what, what is happening in your toddler's brain? Why is she mm. running this way? Well, I think that's the thing that we have to remember is that toddlers are at this integral time of learning. They are putting together what does, if I do this, what's the effect of that? It's they're learning about cause and effect. Their brains are making synaptic connections. So she has not got the understanding of a car moving at a fast pace and the risk to her that that places. Uh, and so that's the start thing, point that we have to come to is what does she need to learn in this space? And I guess what we're really looking at is shaping their understandings. I don't want her to see all cars as dangerous, but I do need her to understand the danger of a car that's moving and her size, etc. Now, obviously, we can't, I can't explain that to her in that way. So I have to sort of think first and foremost about her safety and then look at what's happening inside her brain. It's... um. That piece of remembering that toddlers are learning, their brains are making synaptic connections, is so important because it gives you that opportunity to reframe behaviour, that she's not just being naughty running down the side of the daycare. Uh, What she's doing is she's learning about her body, learning about how her legs can run faster and hasn't yet understood the consequences of that car park at the end of the playground. It's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, it's handy though. I've always found trying to see it that way helps to diffuse getting cross will make a difference right Mm. so you know that getting cross is not going to help the situation when you see it as it is for them so how do you in an age-appropriate way explain that kind of danger so that it makes an impact I'm still working on that or do you just get a lead (laughs) is is this where you introduce a lead um, I, th- I think we have to. I think we have to recognise, um, you know, what are our not negotiables, and running in a car park are not negotiable. So at this point in time, 
the statement is, no, you cannot run in a car park. And I pick her up. You know, she's not ready to understand the physics of cars and people um, or the tragedy that could be accompanied there. But what we have to look at is what is going on inside her brain and how do we engage with that? So for me, the first thing is that she's learning. And in this, in this car park example, the daycare we've got has this wonderful long echoey chamber that you run through the echo chamber and then you, you open up into the car park. And she's actually not interested in running in the car park. She's interested in how her body moves and the experience and the sounds her body makes in this lovely echoey chamber as she runs down the, the corridor. So thinking through that she's actually learning and looking a little bit more deeply at what she's doing in that space is very important. Just as the child jumping on the couch is learning how does my body work in this space or the child who is uh, frustrated that you haven't helped with whatever tying shoelaces or whatever it might be so quickly is learning um, that process of waiting and might be experiencing some frustration if they can't do it independently. I think recognising that that toddler space is such a, a, a phase of learning is the first and foremost thing that's going on. So you said work out what your non-negotiables are and obviously if they're in danger that's that's an, an obvious one. Yeah. What about, first. what about hitting and biting when you're the one that's being hit and bit? <laughs> <laughs> so for me, hitting and biting is also a not negotiable, especially if there are younger siblings involved, because that's not socially acceptable. And to me, that's where we go into emotion coaching. We acknowledge the feeling and then we set boundaries around the behavior. So it's okay that you're annoyed with me, but it's not okay to hit and you stop the hitting. Now, I don't mean physically restrain in a way that would cause you to be you know, in trouble with the law. I mean gently and sensibly. So if you're down at your child's level and they're hitting you, then you could stand up or you could just move away slightly. But of course, what you're doing there is you're acknowledging their emotions or their feelings or what might be going on. You're naming that, you're labelling it, and then you're putting a boundary around that behaviour. I imagine some parents, when the hitting and biting begins, might assume that if their child is doing this now and they don't work out how to stop it, their child will grow thinking that that's okay. What would you say to that? Is it just a phase that if you try to put these things in place and they respond how they respond, is it still a phase that they may grow out of? Look, I think for lots of children, hitting and biting is a communication. And if we can see that there is something they are trying to communicate through that, then we can investigate it further. Are they hitting because they are frustrated? Are they biting because they can't communicate what they need? So taking a look at behaviour as communication, and in that case, hitting or biting, might give you a better way to look at it. So Many young children act out their frustrations through hitting or biting when they can't communicate, when they're distressed, when they're hungry, when they're frustrated or when they're confused. So trying to take that step back, see what the child's trying to communicate and then move forward from that. There is an element of this that's developmental because they're still learning to communicate in more socially acceptable ways. But at the same time, there are non-negotiables and for me, hitting and biting is one of those. Okay, so the other thing toddlers love to do is say no or refuse to do something like, <laughs> let's say, brushing their teeth or yes. getting into the car seat. What's happening there and how do we, how's the best way to respond to it? 
Oh, I get so excited about this age because what children are learning at that point is they're learning that they have agency, they have free will, they can make decisions that are independent of you. And that is what we want children to be as adults. We want them to be an agent of themselves, to be able to self-regulate and, and manage themselves as an adult person. So when a child is learning and saying things like no, we have to recognise that, oh, okay, we're stepping into a, a phase where they're building their agency. And even teeny tiny babies do this. They show agency in many different ways, but definitely in this toddler age group, we see a huge growth in that sense of agency, which is brilliant. But at the same time, it's really challenging. <laughs> I was going to say, and at what age can you teach them the value of compromise? <laughs> yeah, what do they say? Never negotiate with terrorists and toddlers? <laughs> yeah, might be. Um, I think what we need to do when a child is saying no consistently is again acknowledge it, label it and then redirect it. I can see you're telling me you don't want to brush your teeth. Actually, that's what we have to do. So let's make it fast or let's see if we can brush your teeth while you're sitting here or I'm going to chase you and then brush your teeth. You know, adding an element of fun, adding an element of playful so that you can redirect from that sense of no. But again, there's that two steps there. You have to acknowledge what they're trying to communicate to you and then do the redirection. And it's very similar to that emotion coaching idea where you acknowledge what they're feeling and then you put boundaries on the behaviour. It's the same idea. You're acknowledging what they're communicating and then redirecting to another more appropriate behaviour. All right. Look, my final question is around procrastination, mainly around bedtime. So a toddler is starting to get language skills and could say they want a drink or they want another story or they want another song. Why do they find it so hard to go to bed when that's all I want to do? Oh, Oh, there is so much going on here. One of the things is actually thinking about their what their brain is doing at this time of the day. And very like many of us, as you get to that wind down part of the day, your brain seems to start firing and you think about what's happened today, you're reflecting. And for many young children, their brain is actually engaged in a lot of brain activity at that time of night. And sometimes that comes off as procrastination, I don't want to go to bed. The absolute piece for me here is acknowledging it and going back to a routine. So whatever your routine is, that you need to just follow your routine and, and really put in, in place that sort of sleep structure. I have to say I'm, not, I'm the first to admit I'm not the best at this. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a practice piece, you know. Um, it's like learning to ride a bike. It takes practice. Learning to fall asleep takes practice. And you, you have to commit to it and follow that routine. So what kind of routine do you have when it works? (laughs) Well, and this is going to sound really terrible, but um, my daughter is quite obsessed with the sleepy soundtracks that you guys have on your app. Oh, I love that. And we follow the same sleepy soundtrack. Elton John, the um, xylophone version of Elton John, is a fundamental, and I'm terrified you'll take it off the sleepy soundtrack, I'll, I'll, by the way. I'll, I'll have a, a word to the people upstairs. Make sure they don't <laughs> do great. it. Yes. That'd be great. So for us, we have a very set bedtime routine that involves having a bath, cleaning our teeth, reading some stories, and going to bed. There are no screens at bedtime other than music playing, um, which yes, involves a screen because we use the app, but the, the screen is turned over and my daughter doesn't see the screen because there's lots of research about limiting screen time for that hour and a half before bed. 
So for us, it's following that routine. And for my daughter, part of that routine is having her comfort toy and having a drink full. And she does that even from the age of two before she gets into bed. She gets her pillow, her comfort toy, her drink, and then we go to bed. And Every family has a different sleep routine and following that is what's going to be important for you. And uh, so when you say acknowledge, so if they say, I want a drink, do you say, well, I know you want a drink, but you had a drink before and we're just going to read this book now and la la la. Is that what you mean? You don't actually get up and get the drink? No. And and I think if, if, so my daughter takes a bottle of water to bed, so that's already provided for her. But if your child is using that as a procrastination technique, then we acknowledge it, we label it and say, I think you're having trouble going to sleep. So let's try this and then redirect back to bed or back to the routine. Okay. That piece of helping children to build their regulation, to build their uh, capacity to manage themselves is what we're doing, which means that we have to co-regulate with them. We have to understand where they're at in that moment, acknowledge, and then we have to reframe or, or move back into what they should be doing at that time. It's, it's really hard as a parent and it, it's much easier for me to talk about this as an academic, as a researcher. Putting it into place means that I have to be calm, I have to model this in my own behaviour and I have to model this in my own language and particularly at bedtime when you're tired and you've had a big day, it's really hard, isn't it? Oh, yes. I would say maybe... 20% of the time I get it right. And, and I think that's exactly it. We, get, we, we keep working on it and we keep, as a community of parents, keep uh, modelling this ourselves. Um, we have to encourage each other to do it. We have to remind each other in the hard moments um, that this is what we need to do. Um, my sister is a maternal and child health nurse and she does this much better with my daughter than I do because she's an outsider. She's not caught up in the moment of, of I'm so cross she's jumping on the couch again. You know, it's that ability to step back and say, I can see you're excited and you want to jump, so let's jump on the floor or let's jump outside. Again, it's just acknowledging and redirecting and you have to be in a happy place yourself to be able to do that. Oh, what a good place to end. Everybody, find your happy place. Make sure you get time to do it, especially when you have a toddler. Kate, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks, Siobhan. That's Dr. Kate Highfield from Early Childhood Australia. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch... Email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.